Totally Football show as we turn from internationals back to club football, from Syria to Syria, from San Marino to Jose Mourinho, from Wales in Moldova to Wales at the Emirates. Yes, and as we wave that cheery, well-meaning middle finger to the qualifiers, there are big matches to preview as Man City hosts Liverpool, Man United visit the Potteries and Everton take on Chelsea. We're going to be looking at it all in this Totally Football show. Every day's a school day on the Totally Football Show. Michael Cox is here, James Horncastle and David Priest as well. Michael, what you've learnt today is that you can have Wi-Fi on even when airplane mode is activated. Yeah, I'm very excited by this. It means you can essentially uh, eliminate any phone calls that anyone might want to uh, reach you with, but you can still have WhatsApp on. It's fantastic. James, how are you today? Oh, fine and dandy, Chimbo. Excellent. All right, looking forward to hearing you. You shy reclusive type, you. Uh, Paul McIntosh says, I'm planning to save this one and listen to it while running the Great North Run on Sunday. Please say something motivational. Thank you and a little kiss. David, what, what can you say to Paul? Um, watching kiss people spit on you as you come over the bridge. <laughs> that's, that's positive. That's, that's valuable, actually. Have you done this route yourself? Many moons ago, when oh, I, right. as a Sunderland apprentice, we, we, we were all made to do it the, oh, day, the day after a game. But yeah. was that why oh. they were spitting at you? Because you were Sunderland? Possibly, yeah. You, okay, you, well. you've, you nailed it there, yeah. yeah there you go. Right. So don't wear a Sunderland shirt. Okay, yeah, yeah. No, that, that sounds very sound. Uh, loads of questions, actually, for you, David, as usual. How about this one? Any memories, says Andy Hellier, of Pompey's shambolic pre-season tour to Gibraltar in 2012? I've got lots of memories. How bad did it get, David? Um, it, well, it got bad enough to get beat 4-0 by a Gibraltar side on a very first-generation plastic pitch. Right, OK. It wasn't so much as a shambles. We were all taken away uh, to, to Gibraltar at the behest of a, a fan that lived there, and he paid for all the players to go over there. It was during the period when all of the, uh, the big hitters were negotiating their release from the club, and there was a lot of us about... 13 mercenaries just being rambled up from <laughs> from anywhere and we all went over there and uh, we ended up losing 4-0. Right. Which wasn't a great... Uh, no, although great it can happen, we saw Celtic. Yeah. Uh, In all fairness, red. I only played the second half of that game when it was 2-0 at half-time. All right. I kind of assumed that that was some kind of off-field shenanigans, some kind of high jinks in the hotel with motorbikes crashing into people's... Cups of tea and stuff. No, we were all just there trying to get a job. That's right. Right, yeah. okay. And, yeah. and I didn't get one. Sorry about that, Dave. No, no problem. All right. We'll move on. Especially because, fascinating though that is, there are a lot of people who are going to be even more interested to hear our thoughts about City, Man City, that is, hosting Liverpool. It's the early fixture this weekend. And what an early fixture as the Premier League rolls back. It's a statement game, isn't it? It's a chance to put down a marker. Yeah, I always get really excited about this week of Premier League football because it's after the international break. It feels like the season's just begun because the transfer window's over. And I think this is a really exciting fixture. Um, games between City and Liverpool have been very open and entertaining in the last few years. Uh, last season, Liverpool got the better. There was a, a draw um, and then a 1-0 win at Anfield. And I'd make Liverpool slight favourites for this one. It's at City, but Liverpool have just been so impressive in the first few weeks of the season. That performance last time out against Arsenal. I expect Klopp will name a, an unchanged side. Maybe the goalkeeper could change. We don't really know what the situation there is. Um, but City still seem disjointed and they still seem a little bit unsure of precisely how they're meant to be playing. And I think uh, particularly in midfield, Liverpool could just overpower them. Right. 
A lot of people wanting to get cocks on the ox. <laughs> Oxley Chamberlain, who that could be a regular yeah. feature actually. Yeah, just don't uh, Google it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Oxley Chamberlain, as you know, joining Liverpool, keen to play in central midfield. Tom Green, how does Ox fit into Liverpool's first team? Is he headed for the bench? RCTI dad bod. How funny is it that Ox will almost certainly play right back? Russin fuss. Can Klopp fix Ox? What do you think, Michael? I find it very odd that he's so determined to play in central midfield because I'm not sure he's got the attributes to play there. He's, um, I mean, I wrote an article for ESPN uh, last week after the transfer went through where I pointed out that um, Oxlade-Chamberlain played a lot of rugby as a, as a teenager. Hmm. He went to quite a posh school where they didn't do football, they just did rugby. And I always think he plays football in a very rugby way. He's essentially a ball carrier. He's not someone who plays penetrative passes or forward passes. He essentially gets the ball and storms into space and then kind of offloads it sideways. And I think actually the fact that there was a bit of a shift towards um, 3-4-3 in the Premier League last year kind of suited him. He, he suits being a wing-back. He's a player who gets up and down. And the fact that he turned down and moved to Chelsea uh, supposedly because... Uh, he wants to play in central midfield rather than um, out wide. It's slightly mm. odd, especially when you consider that Liverpool have a lot of central midfield options. I mean, I'd be very surprised if Klopp disturbs that midfield trio that, that was so good against Arsenal. You've got Coutinho to come back. You've got Lalana to come back, I think, some point before Christmas. And then next year, you've got Naby Keita to come in. So, I mean, it's not unreasonable that Ox might end up being the seventh choice central midfielder for Liverpool. Wow. And Milner as well, who you know is a player who went there for the same reason, because he wanted to play centrally and is now... Fielding at left back and is now on the bench. So I, I find it a slightly odd move, personally. That failed Oxlade-Chamberlain to Chelsea transfer, by the way. Fascinating detail coming out that supposedly the move fell through after he met with Conte and as a result, Chelsea kept Conte out of the room when Ross Barkley was coming for a chat because he just can't be trusted to talk to new, new signings. He's, he's too scary or something. Um, <laughs> David, they're both fearsome going forward, these two clubs. They're both a little bit frail at the back as well. Can you win a title like that? Yeah, you can't. I, th- I, th- I think it was. It's it's a bit of a myth that you know defenses win titles. Oh, uh, I, there was a question. I think somebody asked a question before about uh, will Man City stick with three at the back mm. against Liverpool? I think they will, and for the simple reason that I think that you can defend against any number of players with three flat players. You know, if you go into training sessions and you can you play waves of attack against three players, doesn't matter how many players you you, you put up against them, six, seven, eight, it's still uh, you should be able to defend anything if you defend the width of the posts with three uh, with three players. And so, the fact that Carl Walker is back this weekend, that could be huge, no? Yeah, exactly. I watched uh, Spurs last time out against Burnley and I didn't think they would miss him as much as what they did, especially in on a, a playing at Wembley and mm. in, in the open space of Wembley and they they had a lot of the ball and they need to get forward and break forward quickly and uh, they just didn't have that. Mm. I think it is big that Walker's back uh, and perhaps plays in this game because uh, I don't know if you saw these stats this week from Opta that he's the, the quickest player in the Premier League and when you're going up against uh, Salah or Mane, mm. I think you're going to need all of that pace. Both of those players perform really well for their countries in the international break. Salah scored, I think, the only goal that Egypt had against Uganda. And uh, also we saw uh, Sadio Mane um, score and assist a goal uh, for, for Senegal. So both of those players carrying on their form uh, in international football. Um, and yeah, we'll have to see if they pick up where they left off uh, against City as well. I disagree slightly with David, not on the the theoretical point, but I think City. I mean, City played back four against Bournemouth, and I think they looked a little bit more stable. I think if they play a three against Mane and um, Salah, 
I think if you expose company in particular to Mano's yeah. pace, that could be really disastrous. I think, so I think they'll be looking to isolate um, them and also Otamendi. I think that would, they they did that in the the game last time at the Etihad, which was a one one draw. Um, but yeah, you know, Guardiola always likes to uh, attack in in small spaces and defend in big spaces, and I think that kind of plays into this Liverpool front three's hands because they they love nothing more than big wide spaces to run in behind. So they have to be quite uh, they have to moderate. I think their their approach. And also worth pointing out, it's a very different uh, City side now under Guardiola. But Liverpool's best performance, I think, under Klopp was at the Etihad a couple of seasons ago when they won 4 1. And uh, Firmino was just fantastic in that game with his movement against, I think, against Company in particular. So I think Liverpool could really put on a show here. I think they both look awesome going forward because obviously Man City got oodles of talent, even though they don't have Raheem Sterling, who's been the man who's saved them with late goals in, in the previous two fixtures. Uh, but they've both got issues at the back, and I wonder if Liverpool's issues at the back are just slightly bigger than what City's are. Well, I, I think the will bring Mignolet back, seeing as the the back playing competitive games again. Ooh. So, so there, <laughs> there, there goes the uh, the wish for a, a positive Arsenal approach from this uh, podcast <laughs> from one of the listeners. <laughs> no, but it, it's I I couldn't see the thinking behind it. Um, to be honest, bringing Carrius in. Yeah, the only reason why I thought he'd come in is because he's going to use him in the. If he uses him in the Champions League, then he's going to need to give him a game beforehand. That's right. the only reason. Otherwise, I think you just you're upsetting the apple cart for you, no reason. Is Carrius going to be coming in for the clash next week against Sevilla? Then do you think? Well, that's what the rumours are. Oh, uh, right. so it's then, then it makes sense that he, they give him one game before before he goes into the European campaign. But to upset Mignolet like that when he is actually he's come back into form and he looks at, he does look a different keeper since he's come back in from being dropped the first time round. Also, where does Coutinho? You say uh, Klopp won't break up that midfield three, but what's he going to do about Coutinho? Well, I don't think Coutinho will play this weekend, but I think if if he's going to find a regular place in the team, it will be in midfield. That's where he started to play the back end of last season. It's where he played in So pre-season. a deeper role than before? Yeah, I mean, I never thought he was a particularly um, good yeah. left-sided... <laughs> no, I never thought he was particularly suited to the left-sided midfield. I think Coutinho is a slightly different player to what people think. He's quite scrappy. He gets stuck in. He's quite mm. he's quite good physically for a small guy. And I think his, his long-range passing, his three balls are very good from a deeper position. So I'd expect that eventually he will play instead of Emre Chan. Um, and why Alden would move right. But whether you necessarily need that in this game, I'm not sure. I think you, you want quite a physical midfield and just to play on the counter-attack. So I think Coutinho will be more helpful in those um, those kind of home games against uh, you know defensive sides where they need him to unlock the door. So many fresh, so many fresh young players coming through for Liverpool, James. Where are they for City? Well, Jadon Sancho, uh, who left City um, to go to Borussia Dortmund might make his debut this weekend when Dortmund play against uh, Freiburg. Um, yeah, he was England superstar at the under-17 Euros. And I think yeah, City have spent so much money on their campus, bringing through supposedly bringing through these young players. And in Liverpool, their opponents this week, you see actually someone who is bringing through talent like Woodburn, like mm. like um, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Now, look, Liverpool don't have the depth that City have, um, which might facilitate. Um, those youngsters getting more game time at Anfield than their counterparts at uh, the Etihad do. But um, yeah, it's a better look for Klopp than it is for Guardiola in that sense. And these two players can come off the bench and really affect the game for them, I think. Michael's calling this for Liverpool. What do you think, James? I'm going to call this for Liverpool as well. Really? Yeah. David, Priest. They're, uh, they're a decent price as well for, okay. for the win. So I'd, uh, I'd put a bit, if I was going to put money on it, if, if I was a better man, I'd take them. Listeners, like a stat, 
Have a go on this one. 81% of men who try the Cornerstone razor don't go back to their old one. I know. Find out more and get £10 off your first order and free delivery too at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Now, Man United are top. Next team to try and slow them are Stoke at the notoriously difficult erstwhile Britannia Stadium where Man United have not won in four visits. All right, can they stop them this time, David Priest? No, I think they've got a different look about them this time, Manchester United. I think they've... Uh, <laughs> you just see the, the way that they've... Of course, everyone say that they haven't played anybody yet. And, Stoke and, and, and then still, after, after they've played Stoke, will they have played anybody? I don't think oh, so. I don't know, because Stoke beat Arsenal, didn't they? I mean, I, I thought Arsenal quite unlucky to lose that game, to be honest. Um, they got the win, but I'm not sure it, it necessarily points to the fact that they'll cause United problems this weekend. Right. Vimmer and Kurt Zuma at the back. Yeah, both possibly. Great, possibly. For women and prayer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope, um, hope Zuma is OK physically. I, I mean, he was a very good player at Chelsea. I mm. think there's some suspicion at Chelsea that this has been a really quite serious um, you know, really serious injury. He might not be the quite the same player he was. So oh. I hope he has a good season at Stoke because he was um, a good player and he's kind of suited to Chelsea's back three as well. So, you know, there must be a reason they loaned him out considering that Conte doesn't have that many options at the back. All right. Is the fact that what we used to call Britannia is now rebranded Bet365 and home to a middling outfit that depends on imports for success, is that in any way a metaphor <laughs> or yeah. something? Uh, very nice, yeah. Uh, right, Man United have got Basel coming up on Tuesday. But, David, you don't see this fixture posing too many problems for them. Are you guys in agreement with that? Anything you think the, the Potters might span as they might throw into the Mourinho's works? Well, I think um, that Basel game actually plays into Mourinho's hands because um, it makes his selection easier um, because I think uh, both Jones and Eric Bailly are suspended for that um, that Basel game so I don't think we'll, we're going to see any any change at the back um, or any kind of rotation I think he'll stick with the team uh, that has served him so well so far um, still yet to see Lindelof for example he was out of the squad last time uh, I think uh, people in Sweden are a little bit concerned about that um, particularly the, the first game that they had um, in these qualifiers um, Bulgaria I think he had quite a shaky game in that and then did better against Belarus I think in terms of Stoke I think what helped them when United went to the, the Britannia or the Football 365 whatever you want to call it um, last time was that United didn't have any pace in the side um, uh, and you know we've all I think one of the changes we've seen this season is this Mourinho's always tried to have at least one of Rashford or Martial in the team if United were to deviate from that then Stoke might have a better chance of keeping United uh, quiet we'll but not a big chance no no I think United they they love to play on the counter-attack um, and you know I think again I think this should suit them although last time around they only got a point because of the um, player who's no longer there which was Rain Rooney who got his what two hundred fiftieth goal? That free Did you kick. You call him Rain Wooney. Yeah, I have a real problem with my uh, <laughs> my, my W's and my R's. Yeah, I'm, really. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit uh, wassy your in that way. W's. No. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, wow. Okay, Michael. Here's a question which you can deign to answer or not. I don't know if it's interesting, yep. but the stats indicate that Man United only really start scoring, even though they've scored loads of goals. They only really start scoring this season when Fellaini comes on the field. Why is that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting pattern. I'm not sure it's because of Fellaini, but uh, I think it is because 
Fellaini's come on about 70 minutes and they've been very good in the last oh, 20 right. minutes. And I think the reason for that is, as James says, they're very good on the counter-attack. Mm. And they, you know, they're going to be at their best when they go 1-0 up and other teams come onto them and they can uh, they can break very quickly. But uh, his subs have been very good, Mourinho, so far this season. Speaking of breaking very quickly, let's look at Arsenal's campaign. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're under Bournemouth this weekend. The bottom three visiting the could-be-in-the-bottom-three by the end of this weekend, David, what about the mood at Arsenal? They've lost their last two. They were dismantled, I think, on a moral and physical level by Liverpool in their last uh, fixture in the Premier League. And now here comes Sanchez in tears. Did you see Sanchez's comments? No, I didn't see This was after his miserable time away with uh, Chile. The, uh, uh, Is this when he's accused of being fat by one they, of his ex-coaches? Well, yeah, they did say that his condition wasn't the best. Fat yeah. with muscle. Is that right? I mean, he's 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 always in a super ripped mode, even mm. by athletic standards. Well, they weren't so sure about that at Chile. Chile, of course, slipping in the last week from fourth place on online for a place in Russia to sixth, where they wouldn't even get that playoff with New Zealand. No. Yeah. And uh, they've got two big matches coming up. They haven't scored, I believe, in four matches now. Mm. It's a bit of worrying. Anyway, so Sanchez, after the uh, the second of those games... Wrote he published this thing that you get tired of being criticised with reason and without reason. You get tired of those who want you to lose. You get tired of saying to yourself, I'll get up again after crying after a defeat. You get tired of telling the world and the people who are with you that everything is going well. And the worst is that no one ever realises how that makes you feel. My goodness. Uh, first of all, he wrote this on his Instagram. I'm obviously using Instagram wrong. I thought it was for like your holiday snaps and stuff. <laughs> Not kind of cries for help. But this, I mean, that. All joking aside, the guy's really suffering. Mm. Well, I, I think he, he thought that uh, he would no longer be an Arsenal player right now. I think uh, Arsene Wenger is going to have a really hard time reintegrating him um, because I think his head is is elsewhere. And uh, yeah, I think um, yeah, Arsene Wenger might claim it as a victory to have not have. Um, sold him, uh, unlike what they've done in previous years and let loads of players go to, to Manchester. Um, but I think they've hurt themselves as well um, because I don't think Sanchez is going to be in a, in, a, in the right frame of mind to be as effective for them as he has in the past. And they're not going to get the same kind of money that they could have got from him this summer, either in January or next, obviously next summer. Mm. What do you think about his impact, or the impact on his morale and his impact on their morale, David? What on his teammates? Yeah, it, but, do you know what? I, I don't think it would make much of a difference at all. I think uh, in a in dressing room environment, when you've got a situation like that, that if they're popular in the dressing room, then it won't make a difference. If they're unpopular in the, in the dressing room, then it's Wenger would have seen that, and, and he would have. I think he would have made a made a change. He would have let him go. But he's hardly going to give him a lift. No, not at all. But I mean. <laughs> Perhaps it's different at the very top. And, of course, you want the best players to be in your squad to give mm. you a best chance of winning games. But if it's going to be a move that's beneficial for you, if you're going to go to a club that's going to win things, if you think of the morale that's in that dressing room now, they're probably all thinking we're never going to win anything now. Or we're not going to win a major trophy like a Champions League or a, or a Premier League. So, so there might be a few of them sitting there saying, well, good luck to him. I hope he does get there. I, I, I wish it was me that was going to, to a club like Manchester City. After November, he might not have a World Cup to play for, you know, which has been yeah. been used for players like Coutinho, why they would end their strike and, and, uh, and start playing for the team again. So. All right. Well, it does sound like this might be a very good time for a visiting club to be coming to the Emirates. That's what Bournemouth are doing. 
They've lost all three games so far, admittedly. They've only scored one goal. But they only narrowly were beaten by Manchester City last time out, Michael. Yeah, they played quite well in that game. They changed the system, um, went to a back three, which was intended to match City's system, but then City played a back four. They competed well in midfield. It was the first time they played um, all three of Arta and Sermon and Gosling. I think Bournemouth are much better when they've got three in the centre. It just feels natural. It's the way they've played for the last couple of years. Those three have a very good relationship. There's a nice balance to the side. I think they'll need those three to, to compete against Arsenal. I wouldn't be surprised if they had a lot of the ball here. Arsenal haven't been particularly good in, you know, in, uh, in midfield. We saw against Liverpool how, how kind of disjointed they were. Um, I just don't really trust Bournemouth defensively, both in open play and at set pieces. I think there's so much emphasis upon the fullbacks going forward that they leave a lot of gaps between the defenders. We saw that with the goal they conceded to uh, Gabriel Jesus in the last game. Hmm. Um, and also at set pieces, they just, they're not a particularly tall side. They don't look very well organised. I think it's probably quite a good fixture for Arsenal to Is have it? at this point. It reminds me a little bit, I might be wrong, I think after the 8-2 against Manchester United in 2011, Arsenal's next game was at home to Swansea, who'd just been promoted, and were you know, a little bit like a Bournemouth. I know Bournemouth have been around for a couple of years, but, but they play a similar play. style of football, and Arsenal could just impose themselves on the game, and it was the kind of game Arsenal wanted. And I think, you know, at home to the Emirates against a team who likes playing quote, Arsenal football probably suits them. Will Wenger stick with his three at the back? Will he stick with Shaka and Aaron Ramsey in the midfield? Well, there's lots of question marks here. I mean, I think he'll move to a back four, partly because Oxlade-Chamberlain's moved on and he was the most suited player to wing back. I mean, Bellerin playing left wing back didn't seem to make sense to me. Um, and after just the poor defensive performance, I think Wenger will probably go to back four. Bellerin back to right back, Monreal to left back. Um, midfield, I think, is the interesting thing. Ramsey... Obviously, his positional sense against Liverpool is completely lacking. And I think it was interesting that he was substituted at half-time. I think there was... Wenger supposedly said he had an injury. I wouldn't be surprised if Wenger had just realised what was happening and, and decided to change things. So I wouldn't be surprised if Ramsey didn't play here. I'd quite like Wenger to play two holding midfielders. Um, Jacques is a very good player, I think. But he can't be left on his own like that. I'd like to see him alongside El Nenny, possibly, who's very you comfortable. You make him sound like a toddler in the city centre. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'd like to see Elneny, maybe even Coquelin. I think Elneny's a better player on the ball. But I think Arsenal need to protect that defence. Right. You can't just blame the back four, the back three. It's about how you protect them. Mm. Well, that's fair. If they lose this, David, or if they don't get a win, things get really interesting. Because they've got Cologne next in that Europa League. And then they're away at Chelsea next weekend. It's a great one if you're a vulture to go and, to go and watch, to see what happens. Uh, that's why I'm going to go and watch it. Are you going to go? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go and watch it. Just simply because of what happened at the start of the season they've had, and Michael's probably right that this is probably the the best game they could have they could possibly have at this moment in time. But it'd be great if uh, if they did draw or lose. Well, obviously not for them, David. No, no, yeah. no, no. But it would be interesting from a kind of yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, we, we've talked before about uh, Wenger that there'd be no chance Wenger would go, and of course he won't go. But Ooh, still, it, it, it's a... Uh, You've kicked on a bit here, so we're, we're on to Wenger leaving, you think? No, it was a question that was brought up earlier on. This. Who, oh, was who's, the, who's the least li likely to, uh, be sacked. To, to be sacked this season? Least likely? Yeah. And who was it? Well, I put Wenger, just because he's been the least likely. Who's going to sack him? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, OK. All right. And it, it is a good fixture to go along to. When you look at what happened last year, you, you, last year you had the 3-1 at the Emirates and that remarkable 3-3 game down at the Vitality, where I think Bournemouth were 3-0 up, were they not, before yeah. allowing Arsenal back into it. <laughs> when Giroud did his uh, ah, the scorpion. scorpion kick celebration. Yeah. 
Yeah. Not, not the Scorpion Kick. The oh, Scorpion was that the previous celebration? Yeah. yeah the Scorpion Kick was against Palace. And then there was the funny sight of him doing a scorpion kick while his teammates were getting the ball out of the net and saying, actually, we can win this game. We're only getting a point here. Oh, bless. Now, uh, shall we move on? West Ham got their first home game of this season. Could be an interesting atmosphere. I read of protests planned at the London Stadium as West Ham take on Huddersfield all the way up in third. Who's going to finish higher this season? Huddersfield. Huddersfield. Seems to be consensus on that, David. Well, from, from the start of Ad, I think Huddersfield, yeah. yeah. All right. Michael what? Lunt goes so far as to ask, would Huddersfield qualifying for Europe be more incredible than Leicester winning the league? No. Why? <laughs> Just to win the league, is, I mean, you have to get about 35 points more than you do to qualify for Europe. Right. That would okay. be an incredible achievement, don't yeah. get me wrong, especially where they've come from, mm-hmm. um, you know, first season up. But no, I mean, nothing, nothing will beat Leicester winning the league. All right. They've had three clean sheets so far. Can they go four against the West Ham side? It's got all sorts of injury worries. Lanzini out, probably. Andre Ayew suffered a thigh injury playing for Ghana. Edimilson Fernandez has hurt his ankle playing for Switzerland's under-21s. Yeah. How significant is that, James Horncastle? I think if they were all fit, it wouldn't matter because West Ham don't really have a coach and Huddersfield do. Oh, really? That You'd put it that strongly? Yeah. Arnautovic, of course, another name that'll be absent, but for ongoing suspension reasons. Bilic, since he took over, interesting to add this, courtesy of producer Ben, uh, they've conceded three goals or more 18 times. <laughs> there's some uh, another injury problem. There's some bruised egos in the boardroom, oh. I think, after their run-in with Sporting Lisbon. Oh, no, what, what has Sporting Lisbon said now? <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I think I think um, West Ham are taking legal action, aren't they, for libel? Supposedly, yeah. But if I was a West Ham fan and I were holding a protest, I know what I would I would take along with me. <laughs> a deadline. Something, sti- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something stimulating. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. But everyone thought that it, well, the assumption was that they they had a, a good transfer window when they mm. all, all the signs they made, and it was like, well, they've signed good players in people's eyes, but was there any thought to it? I mean, have they scouted Joe? I don't want to go back to this, but have they scouted Joe Hart at all in last season? I mean, I just I don't understand why you would go go for the, go for Hart after after the year that he'd had at Torino. David, do you think he's getting worse? I think well, last weekend I think it was a perfect time uh, to introduce somebody else as the number one, especially for England. Yeah, it it was made easier by Pickford's withdrawal, and and I think it would have been a great time because especially with a year leading up to to Russia. Mm. We don't want to be this question still hanging over the top of heart when it comes up to the friendly games beforehand, and then all of a sudden we think, well, we need to choose Butland. It's not going to get any better from this season defensively. The, the people in front of them aren't going to get performing any better, and and I think the the, the goal against uh, Slovakia, mm. it, it's. I got a lot of criticism before criticising him simply because it's, it, people saying that it's heart bashing, and that I was just indiscriminately uh, criticising. him. But it's, it's not. It was either you know he was caught between two decisions. He did neither rush out to to block the shot. He didn't stay in his line to, to just to react to the shot. He come in half heartedly in between. And okay, it's very it's early in the game, and uh, but it's at that level you have to be ready from the very first second. And it just seemed like he he, he wasn't. Fair enough. All right. Do you see Huddersfield getting the result this weekend at London Stadium? Yeah, they they just seem a really good, organised, compact team. And uh, like James says, West Ham have got better individuals than Huddersfield. There's no doubt about that, but they don't seem to have a plan. And uh, I think that 
it's going to be exposed again over the coming weeks. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd back Huddersfield. Okay. Brighton, meanwhile, are up against the West Brom. Brighton have failed to find the net so far this season. West Brom, that's not the ideal opponents. <laughs> Because uh, they've only conceded one goal in, in three matches so far. Things so bad for Brighton that they actually tried to sign Vincent Janssen during the um, transfer. <laughs> well, that's winner. quite interesting because um, uh, Holland's game against Bulgaria, um, I think Janssen was up front for that. And just behind him in a new position was David Proper, who, mm-hmm. of course, is a Brighton signing. And he scored twice. And um, he was playing further forward than he usually does um, because I think he came in for Schneider, who'd had a terrible game against France. And uh, and yeah, was was man of the match and gave a really encouraging uh, display. So I don't know whether that's something that they they might consider playing him a little bit further forward, uh, closer to goal, because um, yeah, that might be another way where they can actually find some goals. Absolutely. So. They also brought in at the other end Tim Krull. Are you a fan, David? I am. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know how it's uh, the. There's a big injury there to his, uh, his cruciate, and uh, I don't know how he's reacted since he's come back, really. Uh, before that, yeah, yeah, I think he was Newcastle's best keeper. And, uh, and a, a, there was a lot of debate about that. Um, but Newcastle still don't have a keeper as good as Tim Krul, I don't think. Right. And the other uh, signing I wanted to ask about, Ezekiel Scalotto, former well, Atlanta, Inter, and uh, Brighton picking him up from Sporting Lisbon. Uh, a defender, do you rate him still? I don't rate him as highly as he rates restaurants because this is what he does in his spare time. He's uh, He loves going on TripAdvisor and writing restaurant reviews. But uh, apparently he'd had a very good um, year under Jorge Jesus at, uh, at Sporting mm. and uh, believes that he can kind of get into the Argentina squad. Um, really? Even though he was briefly capped for Italy against England. But, yeah, he's very quick. Um, I think, yeah, they probably believe that... Um, that will serve him well in this league where, of course, speed and intensity and physicality is everything. Right. I'm all for yeah. people doing reviews in their spare time. Yes. <laughs> By the way. Uh, right. OK. Uh, there's loads more games to go. What do you want to talk about next, Michael? No, is it just worth mentioning West Brom's signing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we may well have done in previous pods, but in case oh, you weren't yeah. paying attention, listeners, they include the likes of Oliver Burke from yep. RB Leipzig, <clears throat> Krakowiak from somewhere. Where did he come from? PSG. PSG. Thank you. Oh, Kieran Gibbs out of Arsenal and uh, Hagazi from... Yeah, who's been one of the revelations of the season mm. so far, hasn't he? Although he didn't do quite so well last time. His error, mm. partial well, also, error, I mean, Crouch's equaliser. I, I think Hagazi's start to the season before that game led some um, fans to think, uh, oh, maybe it's not such a disaster if we sell Johnny Evans, which mm. they haven't done. And Johnny mm. Evans perhaps will come back right. uh, and for this Johnny game. Johnny Evans, who's been one of the outstanding players in... In the World Cup qualifiers, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on his defensive record, which is quite remarkable with Northern Ireland, uh, later on. All right, well, anyway, that's, that's Brighton against West Brom, looking for their first points. While on Saturday afternoon, the last two champions of the Premier League, David, face each other at the King Power Stadium, Leicester and Chelsea. Yeah, and um, the uh, the ongoing saga with uh, Adrian Silva, ah. um, that's, it could have a big effect on their... Uh, on Leicester season so Alright, so talk us through this. Andrew and Silva. Well, yeah. First of all, Danny Drinkwater put a transfer request in to, to get, get his move to Chelsea. Okay, so they they make the moves to, to sign Adrian Silva. As it turns out, their registration was submitted 14 seconds too late, which you would think they were probably, or Leicester were thinking, ah, well, it doesn't matter, it's only 14 seconds. Apparently not. Rules are rules. Yeah, uh, FIFA a stickler for rules, as we know. 
they're without the uh, centre midfielder now, and uh, Danny Drinkwater, it will be a big miss uh, for them. And no replacement. And I know somebody, I can't remember who it was, somebody said that it could end up costing Shakespeare's job. I don't think it'll go that far, but it'll be a big hit for them. Okay. Should, should this not happen? And it doesn't look likely, I don't think. Leicester uh, uh, asking the FA support in trying to get FIFA to turn a blind eye to that 14 seconds. It does seem extraordinary that at the end of months of transfer window, you would miss the deadline by 14 seconds. But so often it comes down just to. Plain old human error. Uh, Johnny Blaine, who I mentioned from time to time, great with stats, remarkably enough. Do you, do you remember when Arshavin went to Arsenal? Mm-hmm. So this was a deal that had been, I mean, it went on for months, trying to get this all sorted out. It was the January transfer window. Anyway, it was finally sorted out on the last day of the transfer window and they got all the paperwork and it was given to Johnny to send. And then they did all in time for the for the 11 o'clock uh transfer deadline 11.30 check, checks the facts he wrote he never pressed send never pressed send so he had to go and de- I can't remember who the is agent that what was what happens with all of Arsenal's transfers is <laughs> that possibly, <laughs> possibly so um, he was fired not surprisingly yeah. but um, luckily for Arsenal there was uh, I don't know if you remember there was a massive snow in London yeah. at that period and as a result FIFA granted uh, all parties an extra day to complete the deals. And so Arshavin was able to go through and have that remarkably consistent but it's not as simple as, at, uh, at Arsenal. It's not as simple as just people turning up having a medical and signing and, and everything be agreed very quickly. I had a friend who's uh, who's transferred in this window at the, in the last year. It was an international transfer and he had to fly to for, to Manchester, then two, drive two hours to a city, have the medical, then drive to the embassy of the country where he came from wow. to sign papers. And even then, he's still negotiating money that he's owed from uh, from the club. Uh, that was be deferred before. So it was in all space these hours, you think you just got to show up for a medical when there's, there's a hell of a lot behind the scenes that goes on be, uh, to stop it. So Leicester, without Adrian Silva for the moment, who's a little bit in limbo as far as sporting are concerned, he's now a Leicester player, uh, hosting a Chelsea team that also, apart from Drinkwater, will feature N'Golo Kante, one would imagine. Diego Costa on the way back, apparently, the suggestions are that he's he's going to turn up again. Uh, but not in this match. Hazard will be uh, back available. Which Hazard? Killian or Eden? Oh, they've got two on their books now. They signed Killian from uh, Uzpest in, in Hungary. Okay. Perhaps as a ploy to uh, to keep Eden uh, right. uh, a little bit longer at the club. But um, you know what? I judge Chelsea's transfer window as being quite good now. Do you? Yeah, I think they've signed all fairly solid players, some good players like uh, Morata for example um, David Zabacosta we saw um, come on for Italy mm. in midweek and change the game for them help them win um, against Israel which I think um, uh, would be uh, was encouraging for, for Chelsea fans to see you've got the possibility of, of drink water uh, reuniting with Kante I, th- I also think you know when, when you look back at Leicester's title winning season one of the kind of ways that they used to get behind uh, defences was drink water would always play those balls over the top for Vardy to run onto that's something that Morata used to love Pirlo doing. Now, I'm mm. not comparing Pirlo to, to drink water, but it, it was a particular ploy that I think worked really well, and I think it's something that they could maybe look to do um, at certain stages this season. Do you think drink water goes into the side for this game? I'm not so sure. I don't know. I mean, I would expect it would be Sesk, Sesk and Kante. Yeah, I think it's probably too soon. Right. Too soon, but... Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, as I said, there, there are two players that they've signed on deadline day who could really help Morata. 
because um, I think Zappa Costa, um, yeah, he's a he's a, he's okay. He's he's perfectly decent. I wouldn't I wouldn't say he's a, he's anything more than that. But he's a very good crosser of the ball, and Maras is a very good header of the ball. So yeah, I think again, put them together, put them together, and boom, there you go. Well, it, it's you know you you're saying about Drinkwater there and, and comparing it to Pelo, it's 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 an exaggeration. But it, from the first moment I saw him play, it looked like Paul Scholes to me when I saw him spraying balls at wide. He came uh, he came on loan to Barnsley before he's moved to Leicester and actually it was the game against I think he scored against Leicester we won 2-0 and uh, they put a bid in for him the next day so, oh, right. yeah so it was it, it was off the back of them I mean I don't know whether they'd been scouting before that but certainly his two performances against Leicester probably one of them the move there right. and, and when he hits that ball out wide he's got no bat lift it's very reminiscent of, of Paul Scholes and he's a front foot uh, footballer as well you know Kante gets a lot of uh, a lot of praise for for you know the, the way that he uh, he closed people down and he's always on the front foot with Danny Drinkwater it's exactly the same he's great at nicking the ball and, and starting off attacks as well hmm well, speaking of drink water, let's have a little let's have a little pause, and then we'll be back with Everton Spurs. Woof. Tweet us at the Totally Show and find us on Facebook and at thetotallyfootballshow.com. Right, there are other games in the Premier League this weekend. Burnley taking on Palace, in which apparently uh, Frank de Boer has the sword of. Damocles, or as Football 365 put it, the, the sword of Big Samocles <laughs> hanging over his head. Podsy says, will De Boer change his tactics for the game against Burnley? Was he this inflexible at Inter? Was he this inflexible at Inter? No, he was very flexible. I mean, he was almost too flexible in that he changed too often. Right. For example, I mean, the 12 days he had of pre-season with them, he spent playing 4-3-3, and then at the last minute he thought, oh, let's play 3-5-2 against Kiev, and they lost the opening game of the season. So um, it was almost like he he was second-guessing himself all the time. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's... Uh, it's. I just don't know why Palace appointed him in the first place. I know that, the, that Paris said he that um, Palace had a real difficult time breaking teams down at home. Mm. Um, but what was... what? It's like they're trying to be something that they're not. Uh, and when they've only signed one player, uh, actually two on a permanent basis, um, Jairo, uh, Riederwald and um, Mamadou Sacco, uh, they haven't brought in the players that can help help Dibor change it. So oh, Sacco's signing again uh, it, during the transfer window, which should be a big boost to them, and they'll need it because Burnley have got a terrific record against uh, Palace, won both of these last season. Roy Hodgson... Uh, a name being mentioned as a potential replacement should they need Which, one. Which, again, there's no joined-up thinking there because it's like if you, if, if you want to commit to this style mm. that you want to implement, mm. then why are you going for Roy Hodgson? I mean, they're not, Well, presumably if they want to make the changes because they don't want to commit to this style. Well, they, they should just... They, it goes that they've made the mistake here rather than De Boer. Mm. Yeah, the, the person culpable is whoever appointed De Boer. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't buy into the fact that it's because they've had two sort of managers beforehand that have uh, sort of anti what Frank de Boer is. I think that it, it just needs more time for them to 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 change into to his way of thinking. I think it's a big drawback for, for managers coming from Ajax that they're they're ingrained in such so ingrained into one system that when it comes to moving into another one or another environment, then it, it holds them back because they're simply well they can't. How long would you give him? How long would it be fair, David, before <sighs> you would draw a conclusion? I think long enough until it becomes a real danger, and I mean sort of when points the point gap starts opening up. 
when the fun stops, stop. Stop. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Saints taking on Watford. They are. We'll maybe talk more about that on Monday after they've played it. Well, uh, Swansea, what, what, James? No, I was just going to say, Saints have, I think, failed to score in three of their four games and mm. Watford have kept clean sheets in back-to-back games. Oh, right. so. Swansea are up against Newcastle. Ooh, Liberty Crowd getting their first look at Renato Sanchez. That is going to be a fascinating. Uh, Newcastle with Mitrovic suspended. Uh, could be a good game, this, do you think, with Wilfred Boney back as well? Had such a terrific record at, at the Liberty. David, you... Uh, Tough one that for Rafa. It is, yeah, and it's going to be a tough all season from. Right. Uh, I don't think the 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 rumours or any uh, about them staying in Newcastle or about them leaving. I think they're not going to go away at all. Um, this team, I, when he first took over, I thought within eighteen months he'd have them up and he'd have them in the top half of the season, uh, top half of the table. Sorry, mm. and. Um, I just don't know for the life of me why they haven't backed him. They will not find a better manager or have a better manager in the very you know, in the next ten years than Rafa Benitez. Really? At least, well, they won't. And he was ideal to go in there. And if they just backed him with uh, with what he wanted, they could he could give the fans what they wanted. And and the fact what? that they haven't, and the, the fact that they, they've up, well, he seems so irked by it. Right. It, it just uh, it just baffles me. It's, the suggestion has been that it's because Mike Ashley is preparing to make a sale of the, of the club, and that's why he hasn't made any He's been investments. Preparing that for, for quite some yeah. time. Now. I don't think Rafa will be there this weekend. Yeah, he's had to have a, a hernia operation. Oh, really? He's been in quite a lot of discomfort, I think. Mm. So, I think it'll, it, it looks like his assistant Michael Antia will be on the sidelines. All those games are taking place, and so is Everton against Spurs. Uh, let's see. Wayne Rooney dealing with a little bit of fallout. In, well, hasn't he already been through that? <laughs> it's a hair joke. All right. Uh, they're both coming off poor showings. Uh, Spurs had that 1-1 at home to Burnley at home, in inverted commas. Uh, Everton beaten 2-0 by Chelsea last time. But I, I was looking at the way these two teams line up, and I noticed, Michael, that it's not August and this isn't Wembley. Yeah, I don't think Harry Kane's been doing too much wrong. He's hit the woodwork. I think he looked lively in the last game. Mm. Uh, looked li- lively for England. Um, I'm not really sure what this August curse is all about, but I don't think there's too much in that. I think he's been playing well. Well, there plainly is, Michael. Well. <laughs> but anyway, it's no longer August. And and anyway, they've got Christian Eriksen, who's just in magnificent form at the moment. At the international break, um, scored a great free kick. Scored another screamer. More assists than any other player in Europe's top five leagues in 2017. Really? More than even David Silva? Yeah, that's wow. right. Do you like him more than David Silva, Jimbo? I'm not sure. They've both got questionable hair choices, I would say. Silver also scored a free kick in the Yeah, he did, uh, didn't week. he? Wonderful. But... but then everybody scored in that game. Yes. 8-0, <laughs> Spain against Liechtenstein, no? Yeah. I think actually it'll give it, playing the Goodison Park, I think it'll give uh, Spurs a lift. Yeah. Yeah, after seeing them last last weekend, it was... Uh, Are you saying that playing away from Wembley might be better for them, David? It's, it's going to... St- it just does not suit them. It's, it's you know when you you think of all you look at the the FA Cup finals that you you look forward to and then they just drab affairs, just slow passing. That's exactly what they've been pulled into. Mm. They've been drawn into that. They, uh, even Eriksen, I mean, he, he's in his in fine form. It's probably the worst I've seen Christian Eriksen play for a long time, simply because he was trying balls at, uh, from the centre of midfield that weren't on. Which game was this, sorry? Against Burnley. Oh, right, yeah. And when they got around the, uh, got around the edge of the box, they, they were electing to shoot when it, was ju- it just wasn't on and it, it made Burnley easy for them to defend. Mm. And I think that uh, it going away, especially a place like 
Goodison Park where the, the pitch is a little bit tighter I think it'll suit them suit their game much more uh, I'm interested to see what uh, Ronald Koeman does in terms of his team selection I think a frequent uh, criticism of Everton this season and, uh, and rightly so has been their lack of pace and I think against a really high Spurs defensive line you need someone going in behind so I'd really like to see Dominic uh, Calvert-Lewin start mm. who I think was excellent in that game against City without him Everton seems so one-paced and I think against uh, such a young and energetic Tottenham side they could be really just um, outsped that's not a good that's no, not, no. outpaced <laughs> outpaced that's what I mean outpaced. yeah outpaced that is a well, word. How, yeah. what do you know about Nikolai Vlasic who's joined Everton having featured at Goodison barely a month ago in the Europa League uh, qualifiers yeah I do wonder about that signing it, it does just seem a little bit like they were keen to spend some money and oh he played very well against us so let's get him in but um he looks he looks direct he's a, he's a winger who clearly likes dribbling towards goal um, maybe provides a little bit of that speed they're lacking but I'd be surprised if he played a significant part in um, in Everton's games over the next couple of months I think oh, he's so we might see yeah. Sandro Ramirez playing this game who's hmm. been kept out with a heel injury I think he obviously wasn't called up for international duty has kind of made it his focus to get back and ready for this game someone who's got very good movement so again uh, another option for, for, for Koeman to have Bingo how what proportion of signings are made by clubs? Not because of scouting, but just because somebody does well against them. Ronaldo, famously, that's how he went to Man United. You were mentioning Drinkwater from Barnsley to Leicester and, and, and Vlasic here. Happens a lot more with managers, actually. Oh, really? I mean, if you think about um, when Liverpool appointed Rafael Benitez, that was partly because his Valencia side had completely outplayed them. And a few years later, when uh, Liverpool were pretty pedestrian under Kenny Dalglish, remember Brendan Rodgers as a Swansea side getting applauded off at Anfield and I think that probably stuck in the owner's mind and probably contributed to his appointment. Very nice point. All right, well, we've pretty much done our preview of the uh, Premier League. We came, In fact, we have. But still to come, we've got a quick roundup, a recap of the situation after the latest round of uh, international qualifiers for uh, Russia 2018 and also after this, your questions. What do you think of that section then? Pretty good, yeah? Not nearly enough football league though. I keep trying to squeeze it in, but for some reason Jimbo and everyone else just prefer to talk about poor old Arsenal and the problems at Barcelona. Well, I don't know about you, but I've had enough. So I'm starting my own show, the Totally Football League show. It'll be a bit like this one, but it'll be all about the stories. Because that's what the Football League's about. Stories. Uplifting ones like Burton Albion and Forest Green and Lincoln City. And less uplifting ones like... Sunderland. We'll be sending our man Matt Stanger up and down the country to get in amongst it with the fans and the players and the managers and if he survives he'll be joining me in the studio every week with a special guest to report back on his adventures. It's the Totally Football League show. Totally Football League, totally free and available absolutely everywhere from Tuesday, September 19th. Drew Wade says, hi, James. Read Isco's alleged buyout clause, 700 million euros, they say. Uh, if it's set so high as a deterrent, why not just have no buyout clause? I don't get it. Uh, legally in Spain, you have to have. Every contract has a buyout clause. Is that right? Yeah. OK. Producer Ben wants to know, David, if being a third-choice keeper is the easiest job in football. It is, yes, basically. There's a, there's a fascination with me simply because for half of my career I played, for a quarter of my career I was on the bench and a quarter of the career I was injured but that quarter when I was on the bench towards the end especially towards the end it was probably the most enjoyable of my career 
Okay. As well. The three years I was at Barnsley, uh, being number two to somebody who I became good friends with and kind of we formed a bit of a team, myself and Luke Steele, uh, who just signed for Bristol City. And it, it, we, we, we sort of bounced off each other and sort of like, we, I like to think that I made him play better and, and the fact that I pushed myself more in train every day, it just became a more enjoyable uh, time in my career for me. Mm. But I think that there's sort of like four, well, maybe not third choice, but second choices. There's four categories you know, you put them on. You put them on the, uh, sort of like a young uh, keeper coming through who's glad to be there. You've got the competitive number two, some like Romero at United. You've got uh, the Stuart Taylors and the um, Richard Wrights who, who, who make it a vocation, really. Right. And then you've got the other one, like the curious ones, like um, Begovic, when he went to Chelsea. And now I can see, I can see why he would would go there because mm. he take the chance. If you want to play Champions League and you want to go there as a second choice keeper, you'll take the chance that the keeper above you will get injured. Right. That's the chance he took. It didn't work out from he's in, in he's went to Bournemouth. Mm. But as as four sort of categories of, of uh, second choice keepers there. But you're right, third choice, third choice at a big club. That was the dream. That would suit me, yeah. certainly. Of course, you never know, because sometimes a long-term backup, after years of occasional appearances, will get a regular weekly starting job. It does <laughs> does happen sometimes. Uh, Mark Ridley wants to talk about the World Cup qualifier between South Africa and Senegal, which is going to be replayed. Did you know this? I it's going to be replayed. That. They had this game, uh, when was this? This was in November last year. A 2-1 win for South Africa, but uh, a penalty that was awarded by Ghanaian referee Joseph Lamptey was subsequently, uh, well, it was certainly, it, it came up, uh, they did an investigation for match manipulation. I was just using my words a little bit carefully there. So FIFA have given the go-ahead for the game to go ahead. Mark Ridley actually saying, which match would you like to be replayed? Michael? I always think an early red card in the showpiece game is a shame. Okay. So I think that Arsenal-Barcelona game in 2006, Mm -hmm. just because I think the red card affected both teams. Arsenal didn't play at their best because they were down to 10, but they also sat very deep, which meant we we didn't see Barcelona's best football. So uh, that was a bit bit of a disappointment because that could have been a real all-time great game, and I don't think it was. That's a great answer. That's a great answer. How about this one? Uh, Ross says some of the international football was poor this weekend. Would a team like Everton win the World Cup? Oh, no, David no. Franklin, no. They beat Spain? Come on. There you go, Ross. Don't be silly. <laughs> easy, easy answer. <laughs> yeah. And Paul says, would international qualifiers be better played altogether when league ends instead of spread throughout the season? I think that's a resounding yes, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. No. David, clear the game? No, I totally you don't agree. Think all the qualifiers at the end of the season rather than breaking up. No, no. It's, it's, well, I mean, what's what's the perennial sort of uh, argument that why we don't do well at tournaments is because we're we're knackered basically at the end mm. of it. So why would we do that ourselves? There's been a lot of complaints uh, the last week about the structure of international qualifiers, but ahead of the next tournament, there's been the most incredibly sweeping changes that international football has seen in terms of this Euro Nations League, which is very very complex and difficult to explain. But once you read it three times, it does seem to make a lot of sense. So. There are steps being taken to improve the spectacle, and let's hope it works. The Euro Nations League. Just for anyone who's saying... We'll try and leave. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how does that work? It's really complex. I mean, I'm not sure we can... Michael is basically rubbing his knuckles against his forehead as we speak. it, It kind of will take on... It will change the way we do qualify, and we'll kind of introduce promotion and relegation between different levels. Oh, really? Which... And kind of this, gives everyone. When is yep. this coming in? Uh, for Euro 2020. So after the World Cup. So basically, we're going to get rid of the old qualifying groups for the the Euros. 
Is that yeah, right? Yeah, kind of, yeah. Yeah, and there's, is it going to be two tiered qualifying? Oh no, many tiers. There'll be what? <laughs> particularly if you're an England fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah I, honestly, I, I'm not joking. I needed three reads of the Wikipedia page. Speaking of internationals, anyway, let's just bring you up to speed on what has been happening in Europe and around the world over a, a busy week of, of qualifiers. As you probably know, Russia, Brazil, Mexico, Belgium, Iran and Japan were all qualified. Saudi Arabia and South Korea have now joined them from an Asia group, which is all sorted. And Saudi Arabia going through means that Australia, who of course are in Asia, now must face Syria in a playoff for the right to go to another playoff featuring a team from the American South, American Central American Combibol. Which could be the US. Could be the US, who they kept their hopes alive late with that equaliser against Honduras, but they need four to six points from their last two games, USA, so they're by no means guaranteed their place in Russia. But Syria are obviously getting loads of headlines, the the commentator breaking down and that 93rd-minute equaliser away in Iran in a match which drew all sorts of controversy because they wouldn't let any uh, female Iranian fans in but they did let female Syrian fans through. So there's questions being asked in the Iranian parliament. Uh, We'll move on from that. Dan is South America. David, as you know, Brazil is through. Uruguay, Colombia, Peru, the other three currently looking uh, at automatic places. Chile, we mentioned this back in part one, currently missing out uh, altogether. Dan is sixth place, two-time winners. Argentina is still in fifth and heading for that... uh, Playoff with uh, Anthony Hudson's New Zealand. Mm. Yeah, I mean, they kind of have a playoff before a playoff in that I think their next game is against Peru, um, who are obviously above them. I think only on goal difference um, at the moment. But um, yeah, Argentina, despite having a wealth of attacking talent, um, so much so that they can leave Gonzalo Higuain at home, um, have only scored 16 goals in 16 games. I think they've gone six hours um, without scoring a goal from open play. Well, their last match against uh, the already eliminated Venezuela was in Buenos Aires. Even so, the, the only goal they scored was a, a second-half own goal from, from, from the Venezuelans. Something we touched on earlier, I think it would be a great shame if Chile didn't qualify for this World Cup. I think it was a good argument at both uh, 2010 and twi- uh, 2014. Hmm. They were the most exciting, entertaining team at the competition. You know, international football is so slow and so dull and so defensive at the moment. And this was a team who pressed from the front, who had incredibly technically gifted players. They changed their formation to get players into space. They were just really entertaining. So it'd be a real shame if they, they weren't in Russia. I think we touched upon this during the Confederations Cup. They haven't had a summer off for years because ah. they're always playing World Cup, Confederation Cup, Copper America, Copper America, etc. And They yeah, might well maybe, get one this Maybe they do one. Yeah, yeah, maybe they are. In Africa, no one's through yet, but I tell you who's not going is Cameroon, who got done, African champions Cameroon, got done 4-0 last week by Nigeria. Algeria also not qualified for Russia. Uh, Tunisia and Egypt looking good. Egypt, this will be their first World Cup appearance since 1990. It's a long time. In Europe, Belgium, the only uh, European side that's definitely qualified. The group leaders right now are France, Switzerland, Germany, Serbia, Poland, England, Spain and Croatia. Although, David, Croatia's loss to Turkey on Tuesday means that Croatia and Turkey and Iceland and Ukraine are all within two points of each other. You watched... Iceland's 2-0 win over Ukraine, didn't you? Yeah, I watched a bit of it as well. Well deserved. And, and they've 
the fact that they uh, they create such a good atmosphere at home in in a stadium that isn't uh, it isn't conducive to it. It's an athletic stadium with two stands basically, and uh, they create such an atmosphere there. And they've uh, there's a fifteen games unbeaten there, fifteen competitive games unbeaten there, and it's uh, it's phenomenal that they're they're in the position again where they are. Well, they are, aren't they? All coming down to the next set of games in October. Gulfy Sigurdsson with a brace in that. A win there, which leaves it so very tight. The Dutch, who got hammered by the French, are now back in the mix. They're right behind Sweden, who they're going to be facing in next month's fixtures. Uh, This after Sweden lost 3-2 to Bulgaria. France looking good in that group, even though they only drew 0-0 against Luxembourg. Poland, who got beaten 4-0 by Denmark. They're three points ahead of Denmark. And Montenegro. Montenegro, in their final two games, have Denmark at home and then Poland away. So that's... Pretty wide open. Next month, Switzerland will be facing Portugal for top spot in their group. Uh, potentially more interesting than this is what's happening with Wales and Ireland, do you think? Did you see Ireland's game with Serbia, Michael? I saw Kolarov's goal. Did you see? Yeah. I actually was watching this. It was, um, it was uh, Ireland were laying siege to the, the, the Serbia goal. And the curious thing was, I mean, they, were, they looked all over Serbia, I thought, David, until the Serbians scored, and then bizarrely, Serbia seemed to have the, the run of play. Yeah, and I thought Darren Randolph did extremely well to get out of the way of that shot. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Zelda strike, wasn't it? Yeah, it almost took, uh, took the crossbar down with it. Problems continuing for Ireland in terms of actually scoring any goals at home. I think they've had two in the last four there at the Aviva Stadium, which is not good. Uh, while Serbia take a four point cushion in that group, Wales move up now to second place following their win in Moldova. A 2-0 victory, uh, goals from Aaron Ramsey. And the first one was ooh, Robson Connor, wasn't it? With the with the assist from that fellow Ben Woodburn. Mm-hmm. Right. Next month, Ireland face Wales. Boy, that's going to be a showdown, isn't it? Well, yeah. Yeah, it is. All right. And that just leaves England and Scotland's group. As you probably know, England just need a point in their last two matches. Slovenia and Lithuania, the opponents. Scotland... Michael, what's happened with Scotland? Is this something that you have a view on? Last year, they looked done for, and so did Strachan. Since then, they've picked up 10 points from 12. The only points they dropped were in the 2-2 draw with England. And uh, now they're... Well, they're still in third, but they're only a point behind Slovakia, who they're going to be entertaining next in in October. Yeah, that's a really interesting game. Um, I don't have any particular view. I was always slightly surprised by how much um, stick Strachan was getting. Um, It's a relatively uninspiring group of players that I think he's he's kind of just squeezing a decent amount out from. But it'd be great to see them uh, qualify. That game against Slovakia could be great. Yeah. Well, that that would take them to a, potentially a playoff. We'll yeah. see. Uh, who is guaranteed uh, a second place in their group is Northern Ireland, of course. And they're looking pretty good in, in terms of the, the coefficient for uh, a playoff spot, indeed, from second. Uh, this after beating the Czech Republic... Uh, with only 28% possession. They had 28% possession. The Czechs had 72%, but didn't manage a single shot on goal. <laughs> and indeed, when you look at Northern Ireland's defensive record, I mean, David's extraordinary, isn't it? They, five consecutive wins, 10 hours without conceding. They've had seven clean sheets in eight qualifiers. It's the best record in any of the Euro- European qualifying groups. And this is with Aaron Hughes and Johnny Evans as their kind of central defensive pairing. Yeah, and it's... Um... I think it's testament to the to the manager as well, Michael O'Neill. And you you wonder why he. I mean, Chris Coleman for Wales was always getting um, 
linked to jobs. Is uh, he? Primarily. Well, whenever one comes up, he, he tends to be uh, lobbed in there. But you never hear anything about Michael O'Neill. Yeah, Luke Dowling, formerly Luke. Watford Sporting Director, was expressing surprise equally that Michael O'Neill doesn't get more more recognition. Yeah, cons- you know, you're considering that the the goalkeeper as well, he can't get a game at Norwich either. Yeah, is he back up at, at Norwich? Is he? Yeah, Angus Gunn has gone from Manchester uh, Manchester City uh, on loan there, so he's been playing this season. And uh, and Mike, I mean Mike McGovern, he had a wonderful Euros, and um, and they've they've obviously created this kind of uh, they've they've all played together. They've got this uh, like a club mentality. It's a bit of a cliche, but they have done that, and they, they've um, especially defensively, it's been the, the main strength. And you think of ten, ten points ahead of the Czech Republic, it's it's, 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 just, it's just a great record for them to for, for them to have. It is extraordinary, especially in a lot of people have mentioned this, coming off their Euros, some teams have found it hard to con- continue that momentum, and Wales certainly yeah, Wales did, did to begin with. Of course, yeah. yeah. One last little topic, and it's Italy. Um, is Iniesta joining Juve? Well, he's available for free at the end of this season. I think there's been actual whispers about this for longer than the last few weeks. I think this goes back to spring. I think Juve, of course, very aware of when players' uh, deals are expiring. Um, yeah, Iniesta is exactly the kind of profile of player that they want um, in terms of kind of skill, finesse, can can hold the ball on the biggest stages in Europe. Um, and Barcelona haven't tied him down, despite what they've said, because he's actually come out and said, no, I haven't signed a new deal mm. yet, so you don't speak Seems for me. Seems to be a lot of that happening. Yeah, it does, yeah, mm. which I think, again, just goes to show the kind of level of dissent there is um, in the Barcelona dressing room, um, not towards the club, but towards the, the board that's currently in place. Right. I think one impact of um, such staggeringly high transfer fees is that probably more players will move on a free mm. because it's just costing insane amounts to, to get them when they're under contract. Yeah, yeah, fair point. Michael, what are you going to be watching this weekend? Uh, just very much looking forward to City against Liverpool. Right, yeah. OK. James, I know, I'm sure you've got a couple of tasty City athletes. There's Lazio-Milan and on Saturday that uh, roma Sam game. Yeah, uh, it'll be Milan's first big test under Vincenzo Montella because mm. I think uh, Lazio have shown that they're, they're going nowhere, particularly with that performance um, against Juventus. By going nowhere, I mean that they're going to still be around yeah. the top a little bit ambiguous, in, in Serie A. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it could be Schick's first game against his former club, Sampdoria. Uh, but there's also, also some great games around Europe this weekend. Uh, Atleti play against Valencia. We've mm-hmm. seen um, Cholo Simeone sign a new deal um, this week until 2020 with uh, Atleti. Um, and also there's Bayern against Hoffenheim. Catalan derby, if you want. Catalan well. derby, yeah. yeah so. Bayern-Hoffenheim, is it? Yeah. yeah. Imagine if there was a show to round all these things up. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah, well, I guess there is, isn't there? Just not on telly. Yeah, it's yeah. true. Catalan derby are particularly exciting in, in light of yesterday's news. What's that? There's going to be supposedly a binding referendum on um, uh, Catalan independence next month. Not really. Yeah. Wow. Okay. What What's the, the margin for a, a successful vote? <laughs> interest? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not sure, sorry. Mm. Where are you heading? You're heading to the Emirates on Saturday then? Arsenal both to watch uh, Czech and Begovic. Right. Okay. And get my knives out. Yes. Uh, well, that, that's that been a fascinating uh, trawl through uh, what's coming up and a little bit of, of what's gone. And we'll be back, of course, to do something similar on Monday. Many thanks to David Priest for being with us today. Thank you for having me. No, not at all. James Horncastle. Bon weekend. Michael Cox. Thank you very much. And you listener, uh, we, as I say, will be back on Monday with more Totally Football show. So have yourselves a super weekend and we'll catch up with you then. 
The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and tweet us at The Totally Show.